Are you ready for the best post show ever? <laughs> then you've chosen the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. <clears throat> you want to start with Amazon Anonymous since we got it up? I need to put it, pull out the song. Oh, okay. Well, until then, I will just uh, describe my pocket knife, which is right here. You know what I'm curious about? Do you have any smoke detectors lying around? They're not being used. That are not being used? No. I may have one or two. Why? Well, because the smoke detector is americium. Right? Oh, right, right. And so americium is an alpha emitter, so it might be able to, might be able to see it in the in the cloud right. chamber. I mean, I could take one. I could take the one off. I could take one down. Yeah, you might have taken it apart. You have to take out the. Oh, yeah. I don't have any old ones. Yeah. Um, you probably don't have to. Probably just take the top off. Oh no, the ones I have have a battery compartment, so you really can't see the circuit board. Mm. So yeah, I might not really get. But it's alpha particle once you get through plastic. Can it? Alpha's the alpha's the weakest, but. Still, should get through a plastic cover. I thought like paper can stop alpha oh, particles. Okay, but it's in a metal can anyway. Like your skin can stop alpha particles. Okay, paper but can stop but alpha particles. But the, I've seen what they're in. Right, I remember doing this in science class, and it's in a little metal canister, right, metal on the circuit board. So, if the paper's going to stop it, then is it going to get through the metal? Well. You- Maybe through the slits, right? Because gas has to get in. Right. So maybe they'll escape through the slits. So you need line of sight, maybe? Maybe that, Or maybe you have to actually drop it, drop it in to the cloud chamber, right? You can't put it outside. Maybe you have to actually drop it into the cloud chamber. So uh, okay. it starts generating. Yeah, the- I don't have anything. I was thinking about, you know, I have a Nest thermostat now. Did we talk about that at all, ever? Uh, no, but actually Damien has one too. Is it the, the ones you, you the turn? Knob one. Yeah, 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 those are cool. So I've been thinking about getting the Nest smoke alarms to go with it. About 100 bucks a piece though. So maybe as I replace smoke alarms, because they also have carbon monoxide. And our old, I don't currently have a carbon monoxide detector in the house. We had a standalone one, but it got too old and it just needed to be replaced. Um, so yeah, I might buy a, a Nest Protect. Uh, I would need three of them to cover the whole house. But yeah, the so my, my thermostat died. I had a programmable, you know, not sexy programmable thermostat. And Heather would never take the time to program it. She would just override it all the time. Mm-hmm. So when, and, and it broke in a way that the heater wouldn't even turn on. Like it broke when I was at work. I was like, it's down to 60 degrees in here. It's down to 58 degrees in here, you know, so you need to do something. So they actually had nests at Home Depot, so I had her buy one. I installed it. It took a little bit of... So my furnace has this continual run fan thing. It's a low-power DC fan. So the fan runs in a low speed 24-7, right? And it took me a long time to figure out how to make the nest do that. I was actually to the point where I was pretty discouraged that it wasn't going to be able to do that before I figured it out. But then I got it, and yeah, I'm pretty happy with the Nest. Um, it has, a, has an away mode, right? Like, if it's away, it turns off the cooling, right? It would be really nice if the away mode could be programmed to look for your phone's MAC address on the Wi-Fi. You know? 
Like, oh. when your phone is no longer on the Wi-Fi, consider yourself away. It, but, so, well, so but, away but that means that that if you were if you're gone for the day, it considers you away. But yeah, well, that's what you you wanted to go into away mode if you're when you like go out. If you're gonna be gone for like two hours, you wanted to go into away mode. So, well, the ideal would be like you can actually. I, I think the ideal so is it, that the way it's away mode works. There's two ways you can. All right, don't let me answer. You can. <laughs> well, I don't think I think you're going to answer and you're going to rattle something off. You know, well, steal your thunder. No, no. I think you need more context before you can answer. I okay. think. I think we, I know what the answer you're going to say is, and I think more context will change your answer. Okay. So can I give you a little more context? Oh, you think you know what I'm thinking? I'm pretty sure I know what you're going to say <laughs> in this one. So, the away mode activates, and it actually has a motion sensor in the nest, right? So, yes, if, it, if it doesn't yeah. see you walking through the room for a period of time, it'll consider you away. And the cool thing is, if you walk up to it, it'll start to highlight. Yeah. My, my nest is in the dining room. It doesn't get a lot of foot traffic. I actually considered trying to move it to the wall, like, in the kitchen, mm-hmm. so it can see people more. Uh, and I may still do that, but I haven't noticed it going into away accidentally. But then on the mobile app, you can say, I'm away. So if you remember and you're driving down the street, you can say, I'm away. It, I think it would be, I think an added feature would be for it to know the MAC addresses of the mobile phones of Heather, you know, my, my MAC address and Heather's MAC address. And if those phones are not on the Wi-Fi for a period of time, half an hour, an hour, to go into away mode. I don't think that's a, exactly the best way to do it. What if somebody is staying at your house and you guys leave? Then they can override it. They can go over <laughs> to the nest and turn it up. They can wave at it. Um, it's, no, you weren't thinking what I was thinking. I was thinking that it would be really cool if your apps had a location sensor that when they both were out, it would tell the nest that you both were out. It's sort of the same process, but it's... Right. It can work that way, too. This would be the nest looking at the local network. Right. Whereas you would be actually collecting geodata from the app and then consolidating that back to the nest. I mean, the idea about looking at the network is is an interesting idea, but there are times when your phones don't necessarily connect to the network. Yeah, Uh, but I mean, mean, there's so many times it's going to go into a way because no one's been in the dining room for four hours. Right. You know, so, and you're going to be at home and on the Wi-Fi, and the Nest could have known this. So, so you actually have it set to go into a way if, if nobody's near it for four hours? I don't know what the, the th- it's, you don't get to see all the parameters with the Nest, right? Okay. I mean, you can control No, no, I understand that. You don't I mean, get yeah, the, you yeah. don't, I don't know what the away algorithm is, but I do know on the mobile app, you can say, I'm away. So, you know, basically the heat's not going to kick on. Mm-hmm. While you're away, and uh, so to a certain level, take, right? I mean, you can say like, "Don't, oh, let, my, no. don't well, let my no away house get to be away is fifty degrees. Away is fifty degrees. Yeah, yeah. So it'll cool down. I mean, that's too cold if you're in the house, though. Right, but but, like, you, don't, but you don't want it to just shut off and like you, it know, would, so you get in and it's thirty degrees. It would be nice of like, you know, like so the the mobile app has can get geodata, right? So it'd be nice if like the Nest knows you're like. 10 minutes from home, mm-hmm. turn the heat on, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. I think that'll probably come in the future, but I, I really, it was pretty easy to install. Um, it, it's interesting that we always, we, we do this sometimes a couple, couple times every couple of years as we start to predict 
what we think the future, what, what future technology will be. Mm-hmm. We're always kind of half right and half wrong, uh, which kind of makes sense because you never really know what direction things will ultimately mm-hmm. go in, but you right. can sort of see, okay, where are the possibilities? I, mean, I don't think you and I have ever predicted flying cars or anything, you know, ridiculously along that nature. It's always been stuff that's been relatively close by and, and something that seems like we should be able well, to do. Well, last week you were talking, uh, talking about smarter streets, right? Yeah. It, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I it's said this thing. Smarter streets. There was a thing that General Motors was doing back in the like early 90s, right? Where they were putting magnets in the roads. Mm-hmm. And then the cars were just kind of monitoring the magnets so they could stay in their lanes so they weren't using any kind of optical drive and last week when you mentioned about how google's issues and we need smarter streets it made me think back to that infrastructure requirement of putting magnets in lanes and that has pretty much proved to not be the best way to do it you know for self-driving cars well but, putting magnets in it is, has, right. is not best and, and I'm not saying I mean, that. You, I'm not what do you want? That, barcodes on the roads? Or? <laughs> well, well, I I would say something along the lines of you know near field transmitters or something like that. Or, um, well, you don't mean near field. Near field is like this. Right, yeah. Okay. So, but but small. Well, th- this would be fine as long as your antennas are close enough, right? I guess as long as the antennas are on the wheels in the in tires. I don't see why that's necessarily. Well, I'm saying NFC is. Limited to like inch, yeah, two inches. So you probably want to use something other than NFC, but but I mean the idea of you know, like um, a smart intersection, right? Like this intersection yeah. broadcasts to anything within the region. Yeah, but low power transmissions oh, like sure. that. Yeah, but but it's actually broadcasting digitally information about the how the intersection works. Yes, yeah. That would it, that's a process is going to require. Huge infrastructure development for that to for for that to be there, but I think that in order, that that's kind of necessary in order to make the dream of a driverless car work in anything but mm-hmm. but a small term you know area. I don't necessarily think that that's ne- that that's the way that the future is going to go. I just think that right now that's the only feasible way. It it could work. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. I mean, encoding more data in the roads is important. I wasn't ready for a whole futurist prediction. Let's shelve that for another. I, let, give me a, give me some time to. Th- if you want to do futurist stuff, let, let's shelve that. And do it next. Well, week. I am kind of. I mean, I'm curious. I'm curious about what comes off. The, I haven't thought about this either. I'm just curious about what comes off the top of your head. What. What things? I would rather ponder it than do off the top of my head with some rum king in me. Uh, What's a better time to come up with future predictions than waiting? The stuff I'm because I'm coming up with a bunch of crap right now. You only think that because you have rum king in you. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do Amazon Anonymous. Give me some time to stall, okay. and uh, we can come back to the predictions. All right. So, what have you come up with? I came up with, it's at the very bottom of the list, it's the AGB Tech, AGP Tech Digital All-Purpose Temperature Controller STC-1000 with sensor. It's uh, $17.98. It's a little, like, in-console-mounted temperature sensor. Looks like 
something you would use in a higher end like commercial brewing system and I think someone's souping up their homebrew system or fermenters chiller cellar with this thing um, it's frequent sold, frequently sold with a project box and um, power socket plugs so I think someone's making their own like uh, Johnson's controls like refrigerator sensor I uh, just caught my temperature or temperature caught Man, I maybe I'm a little bit drunk. Uh, it caught my attention, <laughs> and uh, I'm gonna bookmark this one. This one looks neat for like less than twenty bucks. Get a uh, programmable temperature sensor. Cool. Well, I'm gonna bookmark mine too. This is, <laughs> I, I think the well, okay. So somebody bought the world's best friend trophy seven inch sort of you know trophy gag gift thing. I think my favorite part about it is that whoever bought it bought it bought two of them. That is awesome. World's best friend, they bought two. So, well, what if his best friend dies? <laughs> he might need a backup. Well, what if your Oscar winner dies? You then give the Oscar to somebody else? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, but it's not an Oscar for a period of time. It's your best friend. You always technically have a best friend. And once they're dead, they can't really be your best friend anymore. So you have a... Well, then when they're dead, I mean, they don't need it. So you can take it. You can't take it take back. It. You can't take it back. The what? family. The family will cherish that award. The, the forever, $4... For generations. The $4 cheap award. Well, the shipping costs more than the award. Yeah. <laughs> but I just like the idea that it, it, it's sort of a, it, like a... Um, a sitcom situation where somebody has two dates and they're running back and forth between mm-hmm. two different dates. This person is running back and forth between two different best friends and says, you know, gives one to one, gives one to the other, and mm-hmm. it goes to one room. You're a best friend, goes to another room. You're a best friend. Now, now here, let's let's really bend your brain around this one. What if the person ordered two just because he thought it would catch your attention? Good on you, mate. <laughs> It worked. What can I How say? How can I get talked about in Amazon Anonymous? I'm going to buy two of the world's best friends. <laughs> or maybe he has friends on another world. That's a good point. It's a good point. Well, yeah, it wouldn't thing, be contrary, then. The it's contradictory, right? The interesting thing about the award is it's world's best friend. So it really is not just that person's best friend. It's not Dave's best friend. It's the world's best friend. It's, it's oh, the best friend see, in I, the Oh, see, I, I looked at it differently. It's... I looked at it as my world's best friend, and maybe he has a best friend on Mars or Venus. Or I mean, something. there are different ways you can take it, but but I'm thinking that this is you know, this is an honor. Like you know, I have world's best dad. Yeah, coffee mug from Allison. Right, that's an honor. That's not her favorite dad. That's the world's the world's best dad. Best dad. Yes, I mean, just. Just what you had to go through to get the selection process yeah. was rigorous. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. So it's it, so it's strange that the trophy is so cheap because <laughs> it mustn't come with the vetting process. Well, maybe I maybe, mean, maybe, that's maybe it's just that you know all the vetting process costs so much. The trophy is just a you know, minor part of it, right? I mean, it's really about the title. The shipping shouldn't be five eighty five. What do you get it? And somebody opens up. Wait a minute, 
I'm, you, you charge me this much, and, and I'm the world's best friend. Shouldn't you just not charge me? For, I don't know. It, uh, it's actually, actually, even funnier with the idea that the person bought this. There's just, two. There's two customer reviews. There are two customer reviews. They're not that funny. Uh, they. <laughs> what do you mean it's not funny? I'm a little disappointed with this item. It arrived very dusty. And the gold figure was chipped as well as the lettering on the plaque. I don't know. I think he re- commenting that it arrived dusty is kind of funny. Okay. But my idea was that what if this person bought it so that someone would think they won the world's best trophy contest, but they didn't. Like, they actually bought it for themselves. So somebody could go in the bought market, it wow, and put you, it, put you, it in you won world's best friend? They, then they could have a whole story behind it. Sometimes you buy things just so you can make up a story and, you know, you show it off to people. It's you know, possible. I mean, look at this. This is a nice statue. It's a gold statue. The guy is barefoot. Um... Looks like he's holding like a laurel. Well, right? I think he's completely naked, but he's very—he's uh, a eunuch. He has no uh, no sex organs, but he has abs. He has a, he's got a six pack and very muscular, and he's holding a laurel, like you said. Nice haircut. Yeah, sort of a sort of a fifties like um, uh-huh. Dennis the Menace or uh, yeah, um, Dobie Gillis like haircut. And yeah, yeah. Actually, you look at the plaque, right? It's world's best friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's the best friend, either I, of the world or in the world. Depends in the world, he won the award. He is the best friend yeah. of anybody that has ever existed. So, so the other thing is maybe they got two the just world. because in, because this person said that it came chipped, so maybe just got two just in case the first one got chipped, or or to have a backup. Yeah. You know, so. Well, like I said, you need a backup in case your friend gets hit yeah. by a bus. All right. Amazon Anonymous, thank you, everybody, for supporting us. There's no frequently purchased with for this one. There's also viewed, but there's no... Uh... So, World's Best Friend is 365 World's Best Boyfriend is 1196 Cash money, man. Cash money. Nice. All right. Futurist predictions. Let's go. Come on. Give it up. You go first. I already did. Oh, no, you didn't. I I predict... Cut anything. Uh, How about this? In the world, in the year 5,000. How about we we stick to to beer? Okay. Do you, I think you and I both see more corporate acquisitions of beer. Do you see any larger companies, something along the lines of a new Belgium? No, because I think... That AB is looking for regional, not for national. Mm-hmm. So I think they're going to stick with regional acquisitions. However, Elysian's pretty big. They're not available in all 50 states. Yeah. Um, well, I'm just wondering if there will start to be a little bit of a competition and there will start to be like a Coors buy, you know, like, you know, a Miller Coors buys something and, and it has an AB InBev buys something 
and so to see some things like that, right? And, and then Negro Modelo buys. I mean, we haven't seen other places buying up craft breweries like ABI's new plan seems to be. Well, no, we've seen Negro Modelo. They bought um, Founders, right? No, I mean, it wasn't Negro. It was some Spanish company. But yeah. And they, they didn't buy a majority stake. They bought a 30% stake yeah. in the company. It's it's investment. Um, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the growth of the market and what that means, right? So maybe that's where I can talk a little bit about futurist stuff. Is uh, I had a conversation on Twitter with... Uh, I never met him in person, but his name's Josh Rollerson. He's a, he works at a local NPR station. And he made a tweet about whether bubble, bubble or not. You, actually, you feel that there's a bubble, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's a boom. I don't know if I'd really call it a bubble because of supply out. out the bubble is when supply outpaces the demand or the demand dries up, right? And it yeah. doesn't seem like there's going to be seems like the the demand is driving the supply still. I disagree because I think that for a while it was that case. It was just, you know, an exponential growth situation. We're still experiencing exponential growth and we get thousands of breweries. We're getting to the situation where you're going into places that sell beer and your choices are overwhelming. That is untenable. That's a situation that that is you know that, that you know that's a house of cards. It's going to fall apart. Yeah, but when Victory Brewing started and Stone started in '96, they both have said they thought they were late to the party. You know, they thought they had missed. Well, the my tr- analysis. They could thought be. they thought they I'm missed. I'm not saying the train. my analysis is absolutely right, sure. but, but to me, but, I mean, it I'll, looks well, like a bubble. That's why I'm throwing in this. You know, both of those guys thought they were late to the party. Well. In '96, it, it's going to be a bubble at some point, and it looks like a bubble right now. You can't sustain. No, I think you can't sustain uh, exponential growth forever. Right, but but where where does that happen? Right, I don't think it's right now. So the conversation I was having with this uh, with Josh from ESA from the NPR station, I was kind of pointing out, you know, he's not into it, you know. So I pointed out a bunch of things. I pointed out like only one in ten beers is craft. Mm-hmm. The Brewer Association target is 20%, 2 in 10, in 5 more years, which is a crazy growth rate. And, you know, he's like, that. he said the same thing, you know, that exponential growth is not sustainable. I'm like, I, I don't yeah. know what happened. Well, you asked where does that happen? It happens in incubation. It happens when things are, are growing and they have yet to, to get to the outside world. Right? It happens in rainforests. It happens in... Uh, in in, 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 in proto-star development, right? It, it, this kind of growth happens where there's a whole lot of food. There's a whole lot of energy right. being put well, into the system. I mean, we're also in a... He, he had a skewed lens, I think. I think a lot of people in Pittsburgh have a skewed lens. In 2014, we probably had like close to 15 breweries open. You know, mm-hmm. I... I don't think that is part of the linear curve. I think that's a catch-up bump, right? Because I think we were a little bit behind in breweries for craft beer penetration in the market in 2013. And I think that... And we are the home of of Heinz, so there should be a catch-up bump in here. Yeah. 
So I think there was a big bump in. <laughs> you dismissed I know. That I saw it. I saw it. There. I figured if people didn't catch it, they didn't really need it explained to them. Right. Right. I, right. I, I thought right? a little bit of acknowledgement would have been nice. No, I think. I think it was. I, I think you ruined it by insisting on acknowledgement. But anyway. So in Pittsburgh specifically, I like well. <laughs> in, in Pittsburgh specifically, I think 2014 is going to be a a a, ket, uh, a burst year, and I think we're going to see a continued growth. But I we're not going to see it at 15 breweries a year, right? We're not going to see it at that kind of rate. It's probably not as high as 15, but it's it's close. So it is a bubble. No, like I said, it's catching up to the demand, and I think we're going to see. A steady growth, but not at the rate that we saw in 2014. So you think it's going to I must, go up and sort of just sort of continue no, to I'm, creep I'm up? No, I'm just talking about the number of opening breweries, not the volume of beer sold. I think the number of opening breweries was... It's not a bubble. It's it's a burst this year. Last year. I mean, I'm not taking a look at just at Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the fact that well, there are thousands Right now, I'm talking about just Pittsburgh. Because I was telling an anecdote about this conversation I had earlier this week. But the conversation was originally about craft beer, not about Pittsburgh. You, you but were, he turned you, it you're in. You're changing the no, subject. No, he changed the subject into 21 breweries in Pittsburgh and 15 of them opening this year or whatever. Well, that's not what the and subject I had to was ex- about. I had to explain it. And that's, what I'm t- that's, that's the story I'm telling right now. Your story is wrong. I, I, I shoot an a, a infrared thermometer at your story okay go you you do whatever you want i think that we're in a bubble i think that it's very clear i think that there's there's way too much going on there there is far too many stories about beer (laughs) than can be sustained i i don't i i see things like the fight to get into the Great American Beer Fest, of all things, fighting to get to get into that where it didn't use it certainly wasn't usually the case. We had to do that. It 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 seems it seems like this is you're trying to get into more slots than there are. It's a game of musical chairs, and there's a whole bunch of things now, a whole bunch of people trying to get into the chairs, and this is why we have breweries saying, well. Let me latch on to the vines being tossed down from Anheuser-Busch. Let me latch on to the vines being tossed down by Miller Coors. Because I don't... Because these are stronger than the vines that are being created by people like Sam Adams. They will, at the very least, be able to help me weather when the bubble pops. Because the bubble will pop. And what happens to all these breweries when the bubble pops? It's an interesting thought. I, I, I don't know. I, I would disagree about the definition of a bubble, right? Because what I've read about it is about how supply out demand up or supply up demand, and I don't see excess supply in the market. I see people buying as much beer as these new breweries are making and the existing breweries are making. Look at how much Lagunitas, look at how, look at the growth of Lagunitas and Oscar Blues over the past year. Mm-hmm. You know, they have grown by like 50% or more. You know, 
they wouldn't make that beer if it wasn't being bought up, you know, and these are big breweries. So you have, you know, you have hundreds of small breweries opening, filling a part of Remember that. that. And then you have these bigger breweries like Oscar Blues and Lagunitas that are growing by 50% a year. And because the demand is there. But I'm wondering, A, whether whether the demand is a, is a monetary demand as opposed to a product demand. In other words, when 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 the bubble is the bubble talking about a demand for product, or is the bubble talking about a demand for for monetary supply that isn't necessarily there? And the other question is, I don't understand what that what you just said. Well, I'm saying supply versus demand in terms of product is is different than supply versus demand in, in terms of how much. Uh, how much of the monetary supply is is around a certain um, a certain market, and whether that will dry up or not? I don't know what that means. Money instead of product. the The amount of money that goes into an area instead of the amount of product that is being bought is there. Are we going to reach a point where there's not enough money in the in the market? to sustain people pumping supply into the market. I guess it's I guess it's a question of 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 where, where they meet where both those sides of those meet. Okay. I mean, sure. I'm assuming one thing. I'm assuming that Oscar Blues and Lagunitas aren't stupid in making thousands of barrels of beer more than they're able to Never sell. Never a good assumption to make about anything. They're businessmen in the beer industry. I just drink beer and review it on a podcast. So I have to assume some things. That's There's very few people, myself included, that I make the assumption aren't stupid. <laughs> and like I said, I'm not one of them. I think I'm pretty stupid. I I don't I think people are, are lucky and people are good but people are dumb and they have blind sides and it always is going to hurt people. Okay. And that's going to be reflected in, in, in business decisions and other things. But what was what was my other point? Something it was it was a great point. I'm just telling you, it was it was a really brilliant point that I think would have changed your. It's. Uh, I think it's it's going to be hard to predict that when you cross over to the bubble, right? Because I mean, it's hard to see that you're. In you a can't see it because yeah. yeah, I mean, look at the growth that they've had over the last five years in craft beer. Yeah. Every year, you probably would have said if asked. You know, are we in the bubble? And you would have said, yes, we're in the bubble. 10% growth. Insane. 11% growth. Insane. 14% growth. You know? I don't know. I, 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 I'm I, more convinced that... that yeah. I think, oh, sure. In hindsight, you're you're more convinced it's more likely there's a bubble today than three years ago. Sure, you would say that. No, I, I mean... But I, it's I, just like the guys, Stone and Victory, opening in 96, thinking they had missed the bus. You know, you think that... that We've over the craft beer is overextended. Where, I think if you were to take me five years ago and ask me if in the percentage that you think we're in a bubble versus today, my percentage is going to be considerably higher than it would have been five years ago. Even though I may have suspected we were in a bubble five years ago, in the similar sense, I think now it's even more 
likely that we're in a bubble. So, I mean, okay, what's the natural equilibrium? What percentage of the beer market can craft beer support and you know support healthily? Healthily. I think so that we're at ten point four percent right now. We're at ten point four percent. I think the current market probably gives us a twelve percent or so. So how are we in the bubble if we're under twelve percent? Because things are increasing so much, it's going to go beyond the twelve percent. Well, if that's we but if, we're not in the bubble yet. Then no, we're not if, in the if we don't until... do, if we if we were to stop all production now, it would go well beyond the twelve percent because just the amount of stuff that's coming out. So like, if if people were to stop brewing stuff today and stop making beer today, the the inertia of what's coming out will still push it beyond 12%. So you think the 20% by 2020 is complete nonsense and unsustainable? Uh, I wouldn't, uh, I would say that chances are that that's unlikely. Do you, okay. So what if you look at it as a stretch goal and then the reality is, you know, 17%, you still think that's unsustainable? You think that that's going to crash down to twelve or lower? I think I think at twelve is probably the point where things start to get difficult, and ten is probably pretty easily sustainable, and and twelve is probably a good growth point. And then throw in another that. variable about breweries that are getting ejected from the craft beer numbers: fifty thousand barrels. Yeah, that, I heard a great disturbance in the force this morning, and fifty thousand beer barrels of beer suddenly cried out in terror. And I mean, see, that, that's interesting because that 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 changes the equation. So there's right? there's good beer versus craft beer, right? right? That that changes the equation because once you take them out of quote unquote craft beer, then it changes how what the distribution is. I mean, if you don't consider Elysian uh, to be part of of craft beer anymore. They're taking up a percentage of that twelve percent, regardless of whether you think they, whether you want to call them craft beer or not, based mm-hmm. on some definition. So, yeah, to me, I don't think that that, that any more than than a luxury item like uh, like really great wine or really great coffee can sustain itself. Beyond a, you know a certain point, I think the really great beer can't yeah, do it either. I, I I I don't know. I mean, so I am. I see the Brewer Association twenty by twenty as a target. I think it's potentially reachable. I think you know. I think if it's twenty, then it's a mega bubble. Good for you. <laughs> I, I can foresee them falling short by how much? Don't know. Maybe they'll hit seventeen, eighteen. Um that's still crazy. That's still so it took ten years to double craft beer yeah. from five to ten. They want to double it again in five. I mean, just look at how much has changed over the last ten years. So I mean it's almost like can we recognize what our what we're dealing with in another five or ten years. People are going to have to deal with the definition that changes considerably if that takes place. Oh, but, like, imagine what craft beer, what good beer, in ten years, another ten years. You know, double the, you know, when we do our 20th anniversary, (laughs) imagine 
I mean, like, what you would know, it look like? It, another really interesting point is where's the bifurcation coming? Because it always happens. When something starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger, you start to get a bifurcation in terms of people who like one thing but don't like another. Um, and people on certain sides of a divide. Uh, maybe the bifurcation is whether you're owned by you know a larger brewery or not. Maybe that's what, what, what the bifurcation is. But I'm thinking about... Like... Um, it's it's an unrelated thing in terms of uh, in in terms of market or anything, but it is related in terms of social structure. The atheism movement, for example, is going through a bifurcation moment right now because it got big. It got so big that there are now people on one side. There are people on a pro-feminist side and people on an anti-feminist side, and people are having to pick their <laughs> to pick their battles. People have people are. There's now, you know, a, a, a feminist side, which which I would call myself on, and the men's rights atheists that, <laughs> that I'm not on. But because those white men haven't got enough perks over right. the years. But it's but it, it gets to be a pretty, you know, at least internet wise, it gets to be a pretty vicious fight between them. Uh, even though you think, well, they should all agree with each other about this, but it doesn't matter because what they agree on becomes less important than what they disagree on. And that's going to happen in any movement, in any... Uh, that's why things like, you know, there, how many different sects of there are Christianity? How many different... Um, how many people are Bud versus people versus Miller people, even though, can you really tell much of a difference between them? Yeah, we I mean, can. I mean, we've, we've talked. I mean, that's been a question people have been asking for ten or five years now: is when is the party going to end? When is the jovial atmosphere of craft beer going to become competitive? Well, against? I think we're seeing some of that right now. Yeah. It's a land rush, right? Right now, we've been growing into not us, right? right? We've been growing into either declining beers, macro beer sales, or creating a new market of people that didn't use to drink beer. Right. At a certain point, that growth is going to flatten out and there's going to be competition, increased competition inside the market instead of growing outside the market. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like. Well, I mean, I think we're seeing... I mean, we've been... We, you, you, you think that we're real close to that happening... I'm more bullish that the market has a lot more territory to stake. Right? I think I I think we're seeing previews of it. For instance, Lagunita suing Sierra Nevada over a label. I think we're no, seeing that's 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 trade. I mean, that's trademark law. I actually had a really interesting talk with um, shit. Well, I can't think of his name right now. The owner of Voodoo Brewing. Uh, Matt Allen, and uh, it gave me a different perspective of this whole trademark thing. He has a trademark for Voodoo Love Child, right? Boulevard slash Duval USA is making a beer Love Child, and he hasn't fought them in court yet because he doesn't have money to mm -hmm. do that kind of thing and 
he is I mean, talking with him. He, he's scared shitless. He already he used to make an Imperial Pilsner called Pilzilla. The Godzilla company sued him. He had to change the name. Uh huh. Um. So now it's called Killer Pills. But uh, it's someone who sees these trademarks affecting his livelihood and family. And it's a completely different... Um, Why is that not the same thing? Why is that so a different perspective why, as opposed to an, an example it's the same. of how that filters through to smaller things and how that causes a bifurcation? Okay, so maybe to your point that that's true. Most people are looking at Tony McGee as a dick, right? Mm-hmm. And he may be a dick. I've never met him. Right. He acts like a dick, right? On Twitter, at least. Yeah. Um, but when you talk to Matt Allen, you get this much more personal thing about how this could ruin his I'm sure if you, were a, if you were a friend of Tony McGee, you wouldn't think he was a dick. You can like dicks. You might think he's a dick, yeah. but at least you'd understand him. Right. So, I mean, I'm just saying trade law. My point, my point is not that people are unreasonable on either side. My point is that... everyone, on, No one on Twitter, no one by meaning like 95% of the people on Twitter, understand the requirements of trademark law. That's the first problem. Right, but, these that's, companies but that's do, not... These companies need to do better PR. They yeah. need to let people know. I mean, Tony withdrew the suit because he was Twitter shamed into withdrawing the suit. Yes, yes. That's not right. But that's but that's not my point. My point is that these are the kind of things. These are the kind of uh, um, these are the nucleation sites where things break down, where things fall apart. This was things probably where... his legal counsel saying, "Here's a cease and desist you probably should send," and he said it. You know, that's probably where it came. Yeah, exactly. But my point is that, like, okay, so there, there's a flow, there's a wave of of craft beer, but there are all these rocks on, you know, on uh, on the beach, and at some point, they're gonna, this wave is gonna be breaking apart on one of these rocks. You can't predict which one, but one of these rocks could be trademark law. One of these rocks could be. Uh, you know, purchased by larger companies. One of these rocks would be something we can't predict yet, mm-hmm. but there's going to be something that causes this wave to bifurcate and break apart. There's going to be things that cause interference in you know whatever is happening here. It's not going to be this sustained big movement because that's not the way things work. There's going to be an inevitable end, and the question is, can you predict or can you can you see uh, a certain inevitability of this and do you see that that this inevitability is 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 coming closer it's coming sooner rather than later also i guess you know matt has i mentioned voodoo love child or love child but you know he has a trademark for voodoo brewing right voodoo in beer everyone makes a beer with a voodoo theme i even asked him about rogues voodoo donuts and he's Mm -hmm. like you know like voodoo donut existed before he did hmm Voodoo Donut existed before he did. But shop. that wasn't a trademark in beer and alcohol. He, but, has, he, has, the yes, trademark. Yes, he but, has the trademark for Voodoo in beer. So he actually has precedence. You know, if he defends it properly, he actually has precedence over Rogue using Voodoo in their beer. But Rogue has an out where they can say they are 
putting the name of another company on. So the, the way, as far as I understand, the way it works is you own it per industry. Depends and, on the lawyer, my friend. Depends on the lawyer. Sure. So, um, I might have to uh, set up something with Matt about. I mean, it, it was an interesting talk. I think maybe I should try to get that a little bit more exposed about. Um, it gave me a different perspective on trademark law. And, uh, you know, it, my, my native feel is that, you know, the, the people that actually take it to court are overreacting. They could have done it a better way. Right. But then after talking with Matt for a little bit, it gave me a peek into the other side, you know, and I think that'd be a good thing to explore. I think it's a great thing to explore. Like, I think exploring all of these rocks to mm-hmm. continue the metaphor that that are in the way of the wave is a good thing because we don't know which one will be the one that breaks it. I'm surprised Joey hasn't written back yet. We asked Joey if she want to be on the show again. I want to talk about growth. She might be on vacation. At 20 and 20. She's been tweeting. But she didn't answer my email. Oh, well. Give her a tweet. I tweet. will. I will. Anyway, I kind of got a pee. Do you have anything else you really want to go over? Yes, but... Um, <coughs> I guess, you know, we can we can leave it off for here, and we can go on I to... I have a few minutes if you want to talk about something. I'm like a... I haven't formulated exactly how I want to put it, I guess. I'm, I'm still trying to put it together in my mind, so it might take some time. So that would require <laughs> you to say things, and then, you know, so. All right. Well, I guess we'll save it for next time. Yes. All right.